Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, it's Jason Greenblatt on The Diplomat brought to you by Newsweek. Today, I had the opportunity to sit down with Ronan Bergman. Ronan is a staff writer for The New York Times Magazine. He's the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Rise and Kill First, The Secret History of Israel's Targeted Assassination. And he, together with Mark Mazzetti, wrote an article for The New York Times Magazine called The Battle for the World's Most Powerful Cyber Weapon. It was a New York Times investigation about Israel reaping diplomatic gains around the world from NSO's Pegasus spyware. NSO is a controversial company. It created a spyware system called Pegasus that does very important things. If you did not hear my interview of Julio Shalev, one of the founders of NSO from a couple of months back, I highly, highly recommend you scroll back in the podcast list and listen to that interview. Julio smartly and properly laid out the issues, the controversies surrounding Pegasus and NSO, and tried to answer these controversies and accusations as best as he could. Ronan and Mark wrote about it in this New York Times article. Look, these are very, very difficult questions. They surround issues such as, is it okay to outlaw a system that's important to protect people? Who really bears responsibility here? Should it be NSO? Or should it be the systems that actually create these locked, encrypted technologies that caused NSO to create this Pegasus system to begin with? Should it be the governments who allow these companies to do it? These are very, very complicated questions. There really are no good answers. The article in the New York Times Magazine is worth reading as well. Please take a listen to Ronin. Love to hear what you think. Really pleased, Renan Bergman, to have you on The Diplomat on Newsweek. You wrote a really interesting and important piece in the New York Times Magazine last week, The Battle for the World's Most Powerful Cyber Weapon, about NSO's Pegasus software. I interviewed Shalev Julio, one of the co-founders of Pegasus, some months ago, so it really was important for me to follow up with somebody like you who spent a great deal of time doing research and writing this piece. And I'll confess, when I had heard you were writing the piece for the New York Times, I thought, oh, here we go. It's going to be a hit piece about NSO. It'll be a hit piece about Israel. But I have to say, I thought it was a fair piece. I thought that um, it was not at all a hit piece. I thought you dealt with some really tough issues in an appropriate manner. So good for you for doing that. And thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm happy to disappoint your expectations. <laughs> I don't know what NSO thought about it, but those are my thoughts. Well, I'm, I'm sure that not not NSO, nor the Israeli administrations were utterly happy with the with the results. But you know, it's not my job to satisfy them. But I did want, and uh, we both did. Uh, so Mark Mazzetti, uh, who co-authored this, the the story, uh, my friend and colleague from uh, the DC bureau of the New York Times, and and the editors, many editors who were involved, and the fact checkers. I think what we wanted to do is to bring to the to the readers a first time glimpse into the the world behind the story and 
enlarge the scope and show the 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 readers that there's a huge story that was not told and it's related to many topics and not just the focusing on uh, this company from Herzliya because that company from Herzliya is related to many, many other things in the U.S., in Israel, and other places in the world. Yeah, I think that's right. It's it's a complex web of people and companies and countries that are and, and actors that are responsible here. And, and let's touch on one of those important issues, which is how NSO's technology and other technology like NSO is used for good and for bad, right? Uh, you mentioned in your story that it was used to capture the drug lord El Chapo. Um, there were other examples of where perhaps some of the customers of NSO, like customers who use weapons and technology around the world, use it for things that they shouldn't use it. So yep. how is it a reasonable suggestion to ban technology like this if, in fact, it can create so much good, it could do so much good for security and safety? Well, I think uh, Shalev Julio, who you mentioned uh, before, who is the founder and uh, CEO and really the living spirit, he is NSO and NSO is, is Shalev Julio. I think he was smart enough and fast enough, though not coming from the same background as most of his uh, team members and R&D experts, he's not, he's not coming from technology, but he was fast enough and smart enough to see a great business potential. The potential, I think people need to understand that, comes from a problem. The problem is that for many years, uh, when a law enforcement agency or intelligence agency, for good causes or bad causes, when they wanted to intercept the communication between two people, what they needed to do is to handle with zero encryption or low encryption in most cases, and just intercept the phone line or the phone connection. But when high encrypted or military grade encrypted phones and apps instant messaging apps were introduced to the market, looking at the the phone line or the phone connection between two devices turned out to be just not enough. Meaning you could have a warrant from a court, you can go to the phone uh, or the cellular provider, and you can get the full input of the full, in, the full traffic, but still not having any ability to read into that because it's encrypted. It's end-to-end -end encrypted. This is the difference in intelligence terminology between cyber and SIGINT. SIGINT is signal intelligence that's looking at the channel of communication between the devices. Cyber is the need to go into the device, into the endpoint device, before the encryption is made and look at what is happening inside the, the device. Now, it sounds like technical boring stuff, but that makes the whole difference because the cellular, the smartphones, together with the instant messaging apps, created a safe haven of communication that ended up being used by almost all human beings. Everybody holding an iPhone or an Android is using this advantage of privacy. Suddenly, people could speak with each other with knowing that they have almost 100% privacy. And that safe heaven of military-grade encryption, communication safe heaven, is used by journalists like myself, by activists, human rights activists, by lawyers, by opposition members that know that nobody can, no, nobody can look into their communication. But it, also, it is also used 
by criminals, by terrorists, pedophiles, drug lords, etc. And this is where the good part and the bad part of Pegasus lies. Because Pegasus turned out to be the only long-living solution that can provide intelligence agencies and law enforcement agencies, as well as tyrannies and dictators, visibility into this communication safe heaven. So when I interviewed Shalev, and he you know, struck me as smart, sincere, thoughtful about these issues, and then when I read your article, it occurred to me that while we could debate whether or not Pegasus should exist and why it should exist and how, how and, and should it be limited, nobody really talks about the responsibility of others. So for example, whether it's WhatsApp or some of the other encryption methods, nobody speaks about should they bear responsibility for putting the world in a less safe space by giving these bad actors, these criminals, these terrorists, a space to talk in privacy and and cause harm. And beyond the technology companies who create these technologies are the countries who, you know, who who, uh, have these companies who are hosting these companies to do it. What are their laws? You know, everybody is now picking on Pegasus and by definition, therefore Israel. But what about the companies that caused the problem in the first place that, enabled Shalev to seize on this problem and create a business out of it. What happens there? I think the the story that uh, Mark Mazanian and myself published in the New York Times Magazine is a story about the struggle over who would control the most powerful cyber weapon in the world, Pegasus, and who would be able to authorize the sale of this weapon to another country. And this is a struggle happening as we speak between the U.S. and Israel. But it's also a story about responsibility. So Facebook, who owns WhatsApp, sued NSO for hacking WhatsApp servers and said that WhatsApp was hurt, but NSO should be be held responsible for the use that its clients are making with its products. So when Pegasus that is a unique weapon that can target a civil society of a country more than any other weapon in the world, more than F-16 or M-16, because of the nature of civil society using those channels of communication. And Facebook, WhatsApp, uh, Meta, as they call today, they claim in court that NSO should have known better before selling Pegasus to, to those countries. And, you know, this is, this is a claim that you can argue whether it's true or not, and I'll speak immediately about the responsibility of, of um, WhatsApp to create those heavens, so safe heavens for communication. But I think that when the Israeli Ministry of Defense, as well as NSO, are selling a Pegasus to countries like Saudi Arabia with, with, this, uh, with, with a known record of, of human rights, and then say that they are surprised that those machines were used to abuse human rights. This is, um, I don't know, trying to play naive. It's a, in, in a way, it's like the, the, the zookeeper who let uh, free the hungry lion. And when the hungry lion eats someone, he says, oh, it's the lion's fault. But of course, it's also the zookeeper's uh, fault. By the way, the same responsibility, if it lies on the shoulders of NSO and the Israeli Ministry of Defense, lies on the shoulders of the CIA, 
who coordinated, mediated, and paid for Pegasus to be given as a gift to the intelligence services of Djibouti, a country in Africa with very, very problematic record of human rights, according to the State Department. So this is the responsibility about, the, or the question of responsibility about, about NSO. And then if NSO is responsible for what use its clients made with Pegasus, then wouldn't Raytheon be responsible for the use that its clients are making with its missiles or going with its airplanes? They're, those are questions. I don't know what the answers are, but those are questions. And then, long answer to get to your question, what is the responsibility on companies like WhatsApp or Telegram or Signal, Skype for creating this safe heaven? Are they responsible to make sure that their channels are free of malicious use for terrorism or, or, or organized crime? And if they are not, should they be responsible for at least granting a sort of visibility to good actors with a, a court warrant to look at the channel? The, the reality today, people maybe don't really understand that, that even if the FBI goes to court in America and have a, a, a wiretap, according to Title III, have a wiretap warrant and go to WhatsApp and said, we need access, WhatsApp, the, the mothership, we need access to your system. We want to see what A is writing to B. WhatsApp cannot grant this access because it's a B2B encryption that even the mothership cannot see. But and so, in, and that's from that point of view, right? they say we, we we have nothing to do. But of course, they have not, they can lower the encryption for good actors to fight crimes. I don't understand how can you fight crime without actually see what the criminals are writing to one another. Yeah, no, it sounds like a false argument on their part. They could have set up, or they can set up the system to allow the FBI or anybody else, any law enforcement agency to access it. It sounds to me from your answer and and thinking again about the article that you wrote that there's a lot of hypocrisy going on here. Look, I am <clears throat> I'm, I'm trying to report the facts and be distant from analyzing them or, or giving my commentary. This is my, my I would say, take and mindset when I come to, to write a story, a new story, a magazine story, or a book. I keep away cold and distant. And of course, I have my views, but they are not. I think that the, the stories are so mind-blowing, so important, so dramatic, and to give my interpretation is just not needed. But to point just to the facts, the U.S. Uh, Department of Commerce has uh, put on November 3rd, 2021, put two Israeli offensive cyber companies, uh, NSO, that we are discussing, and another one called Kandiro, that produce uh, a weapon system to infiltrate uh, Windows uh, uh, computers, on the blacklist of the Department of Commerce. It's a list that can lead uh, with high probability to the suffocation of, of a company and its bankruptcy. And I think those companies, if situation doesn't change, will end up being bankrupt, declare bankruptcy. And now with the reporting that Mark and I brought about the massive interest that the U.S. intelligence community or the U.S. government had in purchasing Pegasus or purchasing uh, NSO products with the FBI buying and paying for a fully operational Pegasus to be installed in New Jersey and renewing the license after one year. So not, it was not just the number, two years of fully 
operational Pegasus. Now, the FBI say we only used it for testing and evaluation. I am, I, I at least I have some questions about why do you need a system for two years and pay so many millions to millions of dollars to NSO for testing and evaluation of something that NSO would give you for free if you only want to test it. And during those two years, having extensive discussions between the DOJ and the FBI uh, legal uh, division and the legal division to the actual technology uh, experts who are using or, or um, testing the system about purchasing something called Phantom, which is an, an enhanced version of Pegasus that can hack American numbers. So discussing extensively discussing the issue of whether the FBI, according to the American law, can use the Pegasus to attack American numbers, American citizens' phones, and then buying the CIA, as I said, buying the system, uh, giving it as a president, I think, and then declaring it blacklist. You put all of this on one table, then you come up with some questions about what exactly the U.S. is trying to achieve in in this this campaign, and I understand that, that the that the administration have serious doubts and serious concerns, without good reason, per the use of some of the clients of NSO did, uh, and and I think there's very little doubt. Even if you ask, uh, you bring uh, Shalev Julio again to your show, and I think he would also concur, admit to the fact that some of its of his clients used uh, the system, used Pegasus for horrible, horrible uh, goals. But is it just about human rights? Or maybe we are looking at a campaign that has some other targets, obtaining full control over the most powerful cyber weapon in the world and taking control from Israel on the authority on who would sell that system to to other countries. Look, absorbing what you're saying, it seems to me it's a lot more about power and control of this tool, of this very effective tool, than it is about human rights. Because everybody could find something wrong with different technologies being used. Um, I think what's, to me, what's happening here is they're using the misuse, which can't really be controlled, and trying to use that as an excuse to pressure NSO and or Israel into allowing somebody to control this device. Because I, I don't think the U.S. would debate the fact that it, that it is a very important crime-fighting tool. Yeah, I, well, look, I, I, we don't have a, um, a full reporting on what happened in those meetings if those secret committees that decided to blacklist uh, uh, NSO. And, and I think that there is no doubt that human rights was part of, 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 of those discussions. And then, of course, there is also the, uh, the question or the problem of uh, once such a system, such a powerful uh, cyber device, uh, cyber weapon system is in the market, then dictatorships and, and, and tyrants are going to purchase it and use it. But the attempt, I think, the attempt to control the weapon to contain it, to have some kind of international regulation on who can buy it uh, and who cannot buy it, which sort of countries should be entitled to hold such a weapon and, 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 and which not. That's, I think, blessed. And um, 
uh, and, and a good, very good attempt. Uh, President Biden just announced an initiative in the last uh, uh, conference of, of democracy. But while doing that, I think it still leaves the problem which we started with. And this, this is the, the safe haven of military-grade encryption communication that can be used by civil societies, but at the same time by criminal organizations and terrorists. Now, there will be many Americans, I'm sure, especially after the revelation of Edward Snowden back in 2014 about the illegal mass surveillance, untargeted surveillance that uh, the American intelligence community have used since September 11, who would say, listen, I prefer to have total privacy on those channels and take the risk and pay the price that the law enforcement will be deprived of, of a major tool in cracking those organized crime uh, gangs. Now, you know, everyone has uh, you know, her or his own view, and that's fine, as long as people understand what is the price that mankind will pay once the solution called Pegasus or any other solution, I mean, uh, any other solution that can uh, decrypt the, those, those apps once there's no solution available for uh, law enforcement agencies, good actors in, in, in the country. Look, I, I had met, uh, we had met through, during the last year with dozens of chiefs of cyber intelligence units, police cyber units. Um, and, you know, one of them from a Western, big Western European country praised, who is a, who is a happy client and a proud client, as long as, he's, as he remains anonymous, of NSO. And he told me the story of Operation Gargamel, which was run by, uh, I think, uh, 20 countries from Western Europe and was able to uncover the most extensive and biggest network of pedophile material producers from 44 different countries with them. I don't want to even repeat this. Uh, it's the, the most horrible acts of, of, of pedophile and, pedo and, and the production of pedophile material. And he said, we wouldn't be able to solve the Gargamel operation, the Gargamel file, if it was not for Pegasus of, of Venezuela. And then I asked him, I said, okay, but you did something marvelous. You uncovered this, the, the, the biggest network ever exposed of, of, of those horrible acts. Why don't you come to the open and let me mention your name, the name of your agency and the name of your country? And he said, no, 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 please don't. The people of my country are not ready to know that their country is using a Pegasus. Wow. Well, let's close out this segment of the, of the interview. And when we come back from the break, I'm going to try to touch on two topics. I want to touch on the regulatory framework that we discussed just now, and I want to touch on the collision of business and diplomacy, the collision of this sort of spyware that NSO created and, and perhaps other technologies that you cover in the article. So uh, we'll take a break for a moment and we'll come right back. Welcome back, Ronan. I want Thank to talk you. for a moment, for a few moments, about the regulatory framework. You know, in much of the discussion about NSO, there's discussion about trying to regulate the use of Pegasus or technologies like Pegasus. In fact, Shalev was very clear in my interview with him that he would welcome some sort of international standard of regulation. I think it's a great idea. I don't think it's realistic. I mean, we can't even agree on whether or not. Uh, how, much, how many boots of Russian soldiers going to Ukraine would be considered an incursion, right? 
So imagine trying to regulate this. Uh, and that's with our allies in Europe. But uh, it's worth talking about. But I also want to talk about something that seems not to be discussed much, but you uh, spoke about it briefly in the earlier segment of the show, which is why aren't we regulating companies from creating technologies that allow criminals to have a safe haven? Is it really Facebook's or whoever the technology company's um, decision to decide to create these encryptions? Or should each country and hopefully groups of countries together figure out whether this should be created and how it should be regulated? So let's start with the latter question first. Are, is there discussion about that? Well, as far as I uh, know, as far as our reporting was able to uncover, even from close forums of the administration and the um, internet giants and other forums, there is no discussion of this question. Though there were few very significant statements from uh, high-ranking American officials, including President Obama, uh, the former director of the FBI, the Five Eyes, uh, who said that, that this... Uh, uh, communication safe heaven is unbearable, inconceivable that once you tail a terrorist or or a pedophile, uh, a, a producer of, of pedophile uh, material, and he goes to use this high encrypted uh, instant uh, messaging apps, that the law enforcement agencies are just blind and deaf. They're going dark. But in spite of that, I think that there is a there's a, a lot of discussion of what should be permitted and not permitted in the more open forums of the social uh, uh, network, social media, like Facebook. And I think Facebook now is uh, claiming that they do invest vast quantities of resources and money into trying to make sure that their network, that their channel will be free from any kind of illegal incitement, racism, anti-Semitism, support of terrorism, communication between terrorists. A senior Facebook manager, uh, one of their seniors, told me once that they are now investing more money into the attempt to keep the channel clean of all those things more annually than what the company worth the whole Facebook 10 years ago. And I I don't have a reason to, to believe this is not true, but maybe it's true. But... While doing that, I think that the approach of the owners of the instant messaging apps to their channel is as sort of like the owner of AT&T. So we have a channel, but we have no responsibility to what is happening on the channel. Now, when AT&T is saying that it's it's one thing, but when someone who is creating a safe haven with military-grade Encryption say that that's a that's a little difficult. So let me let me ask this is maybe a, a strange analogy, but I want to ask it. I'm a police officer or an FBI agent, CIA operative chasing a criminal down the street who I know is about to, you know, either cr- commit a terrorist act or some act of violence against somebody. That criminal runs into a building. And then the landlord of that building stops me at the door and says, sorry, you can't come in here. This is a safe space. And the guy can go in and do what he needs to do, you know, commit this terrible act. How is this situation any different or is it really the same? And and if it is the same, why do we tolerate it? Again, I'm uh, more into describing the 
the facts, even if they are not known, and trying to uncover them and to advise uh, the, the, the policy. But clearly, there is a difficulty here. People will say, if you will have someone from WhatsApp, uh, Facebook here, they will say, look, it's in, there's enough metadata that we enable uh, law enforcement to access. This is enough to crack the crime. And even bringing some uh, police officials uh, from Europe, from the U.S., to support this claim, I think I have spoken with, by far, more law enforcement officials, intelligence uh, experts, that say the exact opposite, that you cannot crack a crime unless you have full visibility into the channel, or in your metaphor, unless you can go into that building, unless you can force the landlord to get into your building. Now, the I think... There is a crisis of uh, trust. Um, you know, you'll be a, a much better judge uh, of that, uh, an observer of that than me. I'm not an American, but following the the Snowden case and, and maybe other things that happen afterwards, there's a there's a crisis of trust of the American people towards the intelligence community or the administration in general, as much as crisis of trust of many people around the world in their administrations, and. Being given or give the the administration, the government, the regime in a country, an access to those channels, people just don't believe don't believe that it will be used only for good purposes. Now you asked at the beginning of this section about the how you regulate the sale of uh, systems and weapons like Pegasus. I don't think there is a the like very small likelihood that there's a, a way to regulate it because everything everything any kind of regulation any kind of promise any kind of supervision any kind of scrutiny or transparency from the company uh, from the producer point of of view so NSO or any other uh, offensive cyber company uh, will be met with with total mistrust by the uh, human rights uh, groups uh, and others they will never trust a private company to follow any principles of, of uh, transparency or, or human rights. And then when you give it to the governments, then you know they have their own interests. You know, Israel sold it and promote diplomacy with it and uh, was less caring or a little bit nonchalant to, towards the, the misuse of the of, of the system. So I I I, I must say I'm I am a little bit pessimistic into any attempt to try and regulate this market. I think that's true. I want to close out this last section with a, a question. So when I was in the White House, I was a high target for espionage. I accepted that fact. You know, whether people were interested in learning what I was having for dinner or my private conversations with my kids and my wife, I knew it. Fine. You're a journalist. Journalists were also sometimes targets, uh, whether using Pegasus or other technologies. So I want to see if your answer is different than mine. And I know you like to talk fact and don't necessarily want to advise, but I want to pull you out of that shell a little bit. I would take, I would vote any day of the week for the safety and security of my wife and kids to be spied on, even if it means giving up some of my privacy. As a journalist, what do you think? Do you think you would rather have these encrypted areas, these buildings that people can't go into, so to speak, and realize the danger that that poses to you and your society and your family? Or 
do you think we need to crack this nut open and not let NSO be the the target, but rather the bigger picture here of this kind of technology and its great things and, and those who abuse it? There was once um, a famous German movie called Life of Others about a Stasi operative who is um, bugging and uh, putting hidden cameras in the house of a famous director in East Germany and his wife, and he's watching their lives. And uh, so they are like underground, some kind of opposition activists, as he finds out. But he also falls in love with their life because they are much nicer than his. And I'm frequently asked if I'm not afraid that the Mossad or Shin Bet or NSO or NSA are trying to um, hack my phone and, and bug me. And I said, listen, I don't think that I am important in any way enough that they will invest the resources. But I say, if they do, and they see what a great life Jana, my wife, and I have, they deserve it. <laughs> now, and by the way, I was... Uh, when when I launched uh, Rise and Kill First, uh, my book on the Mossad, I the first launch, the first uh, event was uh, an onstage interview with uh, David Sager at the 92nd Street Y in New York. And behind the scenes, as head of security for a person that was there, someone came to me and said in Hebrew, hi, my name is this and that. I'm the head of security for that person, a third person. And I know you, he said, as someone I never met, I thought. And, I, and he said, I said, uh, this was in Hebrew. I said, uh, how do you know me? He said, I know you from television. I said, ah, you saw me in an interview. He said, no, 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 not this kind of television. The, the monitors in the van. <laughs> and apparently he was running a huge Shinbet operation that tailed me for three months in 2001, after uh, I got an interview with someone who was one of the founders of the Israeli nuclear uh, project, and they, they were looking for the tapes of the interview. And I used the opportunity and I said, you know, yeah, my, my wife, Yana, was there. And, uh, though I didn't know, know her back then, uh, I said, uh, you followed me three months, 24-7. So you can now say to tell Yana that I was only working hard and did, did not party whatsoever. But seriously, you ask me to choose between security and privacy. And you say that your choice is security. I say that my choice is both and fight for both. Yeah, true. If that's doable, I agree. But at the moment... And I think, and, I, and you know, and, and usually, and I, I want to just follow up on that point. Usually people say, well, I have nothing to hide. I am a, a lawful citizen. I do not violate the law. I don't even do any speeding. If they, if they look at my phone, they see that I have nothing to hide. But this is not a... I, thought, I don't think that this is a legitimate answer because one regime will say that you are doing nothing wrong, but if someone else will take over or if, I don't know, someone will try to defame you or suddenly you'll be on the wrong side of the political scale and this, these means will be used against you. You know, we in the democratic countries, we are not that usually not facing... Uh, uh, any kind of, 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 of dictatorship, it's easy for us to say we have nothing to hide and we are, we are lawful citizens. But uh, let, let us ask those, those human rights activists that, were, that did good things and were 
harassed and hacked. Some of them arrested, followed that, and tortured because they were doing good things. No, I hear it. It's a fair point. I mean, what I used to tell my wife and kids when I was at the White House is, look, whoever's interested in listening to us, they'll learn we're human. We love, we laugh, we cry, we fight, yep. we strive to do better, whatever. Let them let them be fascinated or bored by our lives. But you're right. I live in an amazing free country, and I don't have to worry about the things that you described. So I think that's a great answer. Well, Renee, this was really fascinating. There's so many more layers to this, but... Uh, you know, uh, I think we'll have to cover those in a, in a later interview. I, I thank you for writing the article. I thank you for your thoughts and for being on the show. And I look forward to thank having you, you as a guest again. My pleasure. Thank you for the invite. Thank Thanks you so, so much. much. Hey, it's Jason Greenblatt on The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. I hope you found Ronin's thoughtful interview worth listening to. I don't have good answers for you folks. I know that I voted for I would choose safety for me and my family, even, even if it means giving up privacy. Ronin thought, of course, the better answer, and I agree with him, is choose both, right? Choose safety and security and also privacy. But I'm not sure that that's actually achievable. Lots of lots of things to unpack here. We probably could have gone on for a couple of hours. Again, I remind everybody to look back and find the episode I did with Shalev Julio, the founder, one of the founders of NSO. I think his answers were really thoughtful, interesting, and important as well. So I'd go back and take a listen to that. I would read the New York Times Magazine article that Ronan wrote together with Mark Mazzetti, The Battle for the World's Most Powerful Cyber Weapon. I thank you for listening. And if you found this podcast interesting and informative, please do share it on my other podcasts with your friends, families, and colleagues. You can listen to The Diplomat on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I do want to point out I have a couple of very special episodes coming up this week regarding Whoopi Goldberg on The View and her comments about the Holocaust. I've gathered together many leading voices about her comments and the aftermath of her comments. So do please watch for those episodes as well. And I'd also like to remind you that my book, In the Path of Abraham, How Donald Trump Made Peace in the Middle East and How to Stop Joe Biden from Unmaking It. Go to Amazon, search my name or the words In the Path of Abraham. You'll find it there. The book will be coming out in June, but it is available now for pre-order on Amazon. And it would be great if you went ahead and did that. Thanks again for listening. I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.